Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Devil Edge Devil Bill. This week we're living by the wrestler's motto, No pain, no gain, no holds barred. Adam Thomas and Thomas Ariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And oh yeah, brother, I'm Thomas Mariani. Oh yeah, and I'm Adam Thomas. Are we just dueling, Randy? Is that yeah, because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Our options are either we could do The Rock, which is just kind of like very typical, or we could do Hulk Hogan, which I don't think we want to imitate Hulk Hogan for a lot of reasons. Yeah, no. Right now. I, one of them being the, the, one of our topics, too. Uh, <laughs> That's the chief reason. There's no other possible reason we no wouldn't want to imitate Hulk Hogan. And, obviously. But uh, if you're new here, uh, welcome. Uh, this is Double Edge Double Bill, where we discuss a good and bad feature related to a topic uh, for movies that we picked at the end of our last episode. We'll be doing our picking for next week's episode at the very end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But for this week... Um, in honor of the Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw is coming out this week. We're releasing this. Uh, and that stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who, uh, before he did some acting, I don't know if you know this, Adam did some wrestling in his career? No, actually, I did know that because at that time, I was actually a really big wrestling fan. And he was my favorite wrestler at the time. Well, right. We should probably preface this at the beginning that you are far more of the wrestling fan than I am. You were sort of uh, kind of raised on the wrestling. Was that right? Yeah, for the most part. Like, I had all the video games and everything. And then you had to figure when I was a kid in the 80s and early 90s, wrestling was pretty huge. And then when it had its, you know, 96, 97, a really big surge. Now, nah, I've sort of fallen off. Um, I'll occasionally watch it. Like once, maybe once a month, just because there's nothing else to do. But yeah, I don't really follow it anymore. Right, and despite being in Tampa, where especially as of recent, wrestling has become a major factor, given it's not too far off from where they actually shoot a lot of the WWE stuff, um, I was never a huge wrestling person. It was always in the periphery of my life, though. I have like cousins, and especially even now, friends, past guests of this show even, who are huge wrestling fans Uh, even to this day. (laughs) <laughs> that I'd still watch. And wrestling, initially, I was, you know, one of those, you know, assholes who was just like, you know, it's not real, right? It's not, they're not actually wrestling each other, right? And then as I grew up, I just kind of respected, like, you know, it's performance. It's not too far off from, you know, like a big sort of operatic display. Mm. Um, I love the, there's the South Park episode that directly oh compared God, them to opera, the <laughs> which was pretty accurate. That's not real wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, that's, that's how I kind of feel. It's like it's much more performance. Though, so Adam, I'm curious, given we're talking about wrestlers in movies, uh, why do you think so many wrestlers, despite WWE having a production arm that makes movies, don't always make the best actors necessarily? Being able to physically perform and being able to emote are not at all the same thing, as I'm sure you're aware. And I, I'm fully convinced that some of them are not 
aware of that, that they think, oh, we act out in the ring on a weekly basis, then we should be able to transfer to the big screen. And especially around the time, like our bad choice came out, you know, there were big guys and action movies were the big thing. So you need a beefcake for your movie. You could easily tap into that potential. That's why nowadays, I mean, they're still trying. When WWE does their vehicles, they tend to do like action movies just sort of so they can easily plug their stars into because it's like, oh, it's, as you mentioned, a beefcake kind of fit into the wannabe Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of role. But even compared right. to like an Arnold, Arnold has like a screen presence that a lot of these guys, quite frankly, don't especially have. They might have a wrestling presence, which involves usually like saying a lot of catchphrases, doing a lot of mugging, which God knows, especially in our bad feature, <laughs> so much fucking mugging. <laughs> from all of the wrestlers that are in this movie. But uh, oh. it's, it's it's not quite the same as, like, being a talented performer. Though, I would argue our good feature kind of shows a, a rare example of someone breaking that trend. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yes, and for reference, we are going to talk about first our bad feature, because uh, there's not a lot to say about our bad feature, but weirdly, it kind of, like, our bad feature, which is No Holds Barred starring Hulk Hogan, kind of feeds into a lot of the commentary that our good feature, Pain and Gain, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is talking about. So we're going to go our bad feature first, then our good feature this time. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into 1989's No Holds Barred. Hulk Hogan is ripped to the world. He's a hero. But to this man, he's history. No ring. No referee. No rules. No holds barred. This is an unprecedented display of strength and determination. <laughs> this was your first time, right? This is the first time I've ever seen No Holds Barred. You'll always remember your first. Uh, uh, oh, yes. Uh, which <laughs> came out uh, June 2nd, 1989. And is sort of the first WWE films picture, which at the time it was WWF. Um, and it was actually released weirdly, their production company name was Shane Distribution Company in the credits. That's uh, Vince McMahon's son's name. Okay, that makes sense. And Vince McMahon is a producer on this along with Hulk Hogan, who was very popular at the time. And is one of the more recognizable wrestlers. Like, even as someone who's not a huge wrestling person, I was aware of Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, as a you know, movie fan, uh, probably his biggest turn is in uh, Gremlins 2, which yeah. is amazing. <laughs> you think the Grimsters can mess with the Hulkster? Uh, well, whenever we talk about Gremlins 2, we will definitely talk about that. But, um, yeah, so, Adam, this was your pick, and uh -huh. um, why would you say this represents all the bad elements of a wrestler in a starring role in a film? Well, uh, you watched it, right? <laughs> I believe I did. <laughs> you tried to. Because this movie is just such a fucking weird, ego-driven vanity project. I mean, I mainly chose it for the clothes. I gotta be honest. <laughs> All Kogan's outfits in this. You can tell that him and Vince wrote this, or rewrote it. You can. I mean, it's just so stupid. And it's such a just a stupid plot. I mean, even the names of the things. Like this huge fucking sporting event with these underground fighters and the battle of the tough guys. <laughs> 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 that's that's what you get. 
oh man and just the stereotypical zeus used to be in prison i know i trained him <laughs> you know, the what the, the saintly old black man who's there for one scene of exposition like this is just a fucking joke of a movie his brother <laughs> Zeus, <laughs> Zeus cripples his brother like, and they kill a guy Hulk Hogan kills the main bad guy at the end of this movie. There's no question. Yeah, he kills that main bad guy, and I guess is like assisted murdering Kurt Fuller, who admittingly, as many issues as I have with this movie, Kurt Fuller is not one of them. I love oh, Kurt Fuller. So he's so good, and I I think he's a very underrated character. You might have seen him in like Ghostbusters Two, was the same year where he was playing the Walter Peck proxy in that film. Yep. Among several other things. You've, if you see this guy, you recognize his face. Um, oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For my first time watching No Holds Barred, weirdly it feels like when I was a kid and I didn't really watch wrestling, but I heard wrestlers made movies, this is exactly what I would have imagined a bad wrestler's movie would have been. Like, yeah, totally. It's about wrestling. Right, it's it's so about wrestling in this weird way where it's just... I. <laughs> This this weird plot that like takes wrestling so hundred percent seriously. Like, oh, you got to have the big wrestler turnout, and there's <laughs> different TV channels fighting over it. Which I know wrestling was big at this time, but also would like multiple networks fight over wrestling this hard? Like Kurt well, Fuller the, is. The thing is, they're not even fighting over wrestling; they're fighting over him. They just want Rip to be on their fucking network or whatever the hell the idea is. I don't like, are they going to get him and then build wrestling around him? What the fuck is the point? I know it's, it's so confusing about like why they're specifically targeting rip only because as you mentioned, it's such a vanity project for Hulk Hogan, which oh I mean, God. we might as well get this out of the way now that uh, Hulk sure. Hogan is a complicated figure to say the very least. Yeah. And he's a racist who fucks married women. Yep, uh, yeah, he, he does that. <laughs> Let's just put it out in Front Street. Uh, he seems to be quite an awful person. Though yeah. there's this weird, complicated legacy of him being so attached to wrestling just as, like, a figure. To the point where, like, he's such also a big figure in even Tampa, my hometown. To where, like, when I was underage, I snuck into his bar on, like, a... Like, the big New Year's Eve uh-huh. festival thing that he did for i think it was near the opening of his bar and he was there and everything and he was doing the whole hulkamania thing everyone was all around him this was a few years before the gawker incident which <laughs> we won't go quite into necessarily and now they're making a movie out of that with uh, chris hemsworth playing him which how do you feel about that i just i don't think hulk hogan needs to make any more money off this stuff stop giving this fucking guy money because of this these scandals enough yeah, and even with all that removed, watching this movie where that was several decades ahead, Hulk Hogan doesn't have much of any screen presence beyond mugging and also looking like a sentient hot dog. <laughs> That's accurate. Like, his skin tone looks exactly like an overly done hot dog at a gas station. Yeah. That's that's all I can really think of. If you put like some yellow fucking mustache and shit on him, a hot dog. You got all, you got yeah, you got hot dog Hogan. Um, <laughs> and I I, just, I have to bring it up because to me it's the one thing I remember from this movie. That every time I see it, I groan. I thought it was hilarious when I was a kid. You might already know what scene I'm talking about. I have a feeling, but go ahead. What's that smell? <laughs> Dookie. Dookie? Yeah. Like, oh, no. <laughs> I just thought the scene awkwardly ends there. Like, keep in mind, this is at the, the punctuation point of a massive action scene where Hulk Hogan has been kidnapped in a limo 
and then he is brought to like a weird warehouse where a bunch of people fight him, and he bursts out of like the fucking door. Explodes out of it. He he explodes out of the the roof. Which is being like this whole sequence. I was like, man, if this movie's like this whole sequence, I might have fun with this a bit more because this is just ridiculous in a way that's like at least like almost supernatural. So I can have a bit more fun with it. Then the Dookie moment happens. I'm like, oh. I don't oh, know about this. Yeah. And then yeah. that scene actually is like the last time he appears in the movie for like 20 minutes. Because yep. they focus so much on like Kurt Fuller and his lackeys, um, who are played by David Paymer, who's another recognizable character actor, and Charles Levin. Um, mm-hmm. And they go out trying to find other wrestlers at this seedy bar, which is such a weird thing where like they focus so much time on like, oh, it's a seedy bar with underground wrestling, and people are like, oh, we don't kill each other, but that's the only rule, and the bathroom's disgusting. And that doesn't matter once Tiny Lister comes in as uh-huh. the villain. Like, all of that doesn't matter at all. We spent, like, 20 fucking minutes on this for what reason? Yeah, for nothing. Nothing? Legitimately for nothing. <laughs> for just for a couple funny bits. Well, that they thought were funny bits. Yeah, emphasis wow. on, like, the quotes around funny bits. You're right, exactly. And to get back to the limo thing real quick, I, you know, I don't know a lot about physics or mechanics or anything like that, per se, I don't know that kicking the inside of a car would make the car almost crash every time. Probably not, no. As, <laughs> as a child, you probably did that a lot with tantrums. That never stopped yeah, the car. I mean, beating up the inside of the car door is making the car swerve all over the road. What the fuck? Even though, like like I said, I think Kurt Fuller is just like, chewing up so much scenery in a very fun way. Where literally, mm-hmm. like as he keeps going, it's just like, oh, these guys are horrible. They're perfect for my show. And all this <laughs> other shit. He is so just embracing this part in a way that I really enjoyed. But at the same time, like, if it was more of that, or like I said, the limo scene, I'd think like, well, you know, this is like a guilty pleasure fun bad movie. But the problem is, as you mentioned with like a lot of stuff in like, the bathroom and that bar, it's so much of an unfunny comedy. Like, yeah. consistently the whole way through, in a way that's, like, really brutal to watch go through. Honestly, the funniest stuff for me was either Kurt Fuller being over the top, or, as I kind of mentioned, Zeus Tiny Lister is the villain of this movie. And I kind of love how much he mugs in this movie. And all he does is yell. He just screams, and he walks like Frankenstein over to with people. With unibrow. What is going on with that? Especially because, like, it's not just a unibrow. It's like, he saw it was a unibrow, and he's like, okay, I gotta shave some of this. But he shaved the right side of it instead of the middle. <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> it's like, oh, something's off here. There we go. <laughs> oh, there you go. Even now. Um, and Kurt Fuller creates... Just so much crime. A horrible, blatant, like, abuse, especially where it's, like, they treat wrestling so seriously that there's a point where, like, they have the second round of the match of the tough guys, and it's in a steel mill. Like, Uh a real steel mill, and, like, Zeus Tiny Lister fights this guy in the middle of the steel mill. He's just like, oh, I'm gonna cripple him, and he kind of cripples him, and just like, can we, like, draw the line somewhere? What the fuck (laughs) even is this? Right, he's kidnapping, uh, what's it, Jacqueline Bassett, or whatever her name is? What is her name? I don't even remember. Are you talking about the love interest? Yeah, that. Joan Severance. Yeah, Joan Joan Severance as Samantha Moore. And crime just follows a rip around anywhere he goes, too. Like, of course, he goes into that diner where the, you know, the southern waitress is like, oh, baby, I love you. Hold on. Emphasis on a southern black waitress, which made this even worse considering modern context. Horribly worse. It's just like, oh, you're the only man I ever really wanted to be with. If I wasn't married, oh, man, I would be so... Uh Like, oh, Uh oof. Especially in that bright fucking blue and white 
one-piece spandex outfit he wears. Yeah, but then, you know, criminals just decide to rob that full diner in the middle of the day. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Hulk Hogan defeats them with pies and bar stools. Yes. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) He is a real American fighting for the rights of every man. Every man, Adam! Bro, when his brother is sitting there in the wheelchair just crying... And he finally musters up the strength to do the fucking rip it hand signal. And just the surge of power that it gives Hulk Hogan. See, the funniest moment to me, though, is when his brother's in the hospital right after the Zeus beating and Hulk Hogan gives his Oscar dramatic acting. Which is like, oh god, no. Oh god, why? (laughs) And he's doing the same mugging he does when he does the -the over-the-top wrestling faces. Yep. And all of that, which is so... Like, I wish there was so much more of that in this movie. And by the way, why are the physical therapists at the hospital just letting him do it? <laughs> why are they I mean, letting Hulk Hogan? I mean, he's Rip. It's Everyone That's loves true, it's Rip. Rip. So of course he has to do it. Didn't you see that scene where they went to the French restaurant and the French man was like, Oh, Rip. Oh, we love you so much. God, of course. Uh, yeah, and of course, the smarmy French waiter. Yes, uh, we do not have hot dogs. Or hamburgers. Yeah, hamburgers. And of course, the, the manager comes up, this is Rip, what's wrong with you? And Hogan speaks French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish it was so much more of some of this other shit. Where, like, if it was way more emphasis on, like, Vanity Project for Hulk Hogan, it might be more of a fascinating, like, sort of thing to dissect. As opposed to any of the stuff where it's, like, the love interest relationship, as you mentioned, with, like, oh, Samantha so Moore. Bad. She thinks he's jacking off, but he's doing <laughs> he's doing push-ups in the middle of the night. And they do the sitcom thing of, like, here's my side of the room, and here's your side of the room. In the Literally. middle of where the bed is. And a weird confluence of events at that point, where they have that wacky thing where he breaks the bed and she rolls onto him. And then the scene where she goes to Kurt Fuller and says, like, hey, he's a nice guy, and then he slaps her. And then she's just like, oh, Rip, I've come back to you at your house, and I can't believe you did this. And then they're together? Yep. It's like, that's a three-act arc right there. <laughs> yep. Didn't you also love, you know, the all the other tough guys, that the one's main gimmick was he had long armpit hair? Yep, that was great. Oh, uh, yeah, and sprayed deodorant into his own mouth and stuff. Jesus This Christ. feels like such a movie where, like, if I watched this at, like, some point between 10 and 13, I probably would have really loved it. And then I would have yeah. gone back to it, and I would have been like, well, this is the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. This is garbage. Is that what this is to you? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> when I was a kid, man, this movie was it. Oh, it's so good. I can't believe my parents watched this with me as much as I made them watch it. But a couple weeks ago, I saw it on one of those free apps like Tubi TV or whatever. Heather had never seen it either. So I'm like, oh, you got it. You love bad movies. This is probably really still kind of like fun but bad. Oh my god, what a chore to get through. And she's laughing. She thinks it's hilariously bad. And I'm like, this is just atrocious. It's so... I I fucking... I was a stupid kid. (laughs) This is just a garbage fest. And it's it's like I said, it's not that fun even of a garbage fest. Because it wants to emphasize itself so much as like a comedy. In a way that just none of the laughs work in any way. None of it. And I I love the... uh... Just what a model person fucking Rip is. You know, see, that's the thing. You got it wrong about me. I'm going to go sleep on the lobby. It looks more comfortable than anything with you. And you're like, what? 
what are you talking about, man? Why? Where? Huh? You have these morals, yet you murder two men at the end of the movie. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you know what? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm glad you experienced it. Well, no, I also, this isn't one of the worst movies I've seen for the no. show. Because if anything else, it's a... I, I looked at it more as like a time capsule of a movie, which it very much is. This feels yeah, very much like end of the 80s. Like, this is all of the excess and all of the, quite frankly, cocaine. Just going to a lot of people's oh, do you think? This is such a cocaine movie. Yep, um, and steroids and everything else. And steroids and a lot of other things, which is hence why I think it leads perfectly into our next feature <laughs> on every single level possible. Yeah. It's a curiosity if you have any interest at all in sort of, like, wrestling as more of, like, a historical thing rather than as, like, an actual good movie or entertainingly bad movie even. It's it's curious on, on that level, especially with just, God knows how fucking over-elaborate that ending battle sequence is where it becomes almost like the childhood fantasy of, like, oh, hey, so they're going to be in the ring, but then they're going to get out of the ring, and they're going to go up the stairway, and they're going to, like, fight each other on the railings above, and they're going to fall off. Like, how kid fantasy is that? It's just like, oh, they're going to fall. Like, no, I'm falling off the stairway, and also they're bullshit. Oh, I know, and it just drags on and on and on. And, you know, what's Kurt, Kurt Fuller is just going insane up in that room. Yep. <laughs> he literally just destroys the broadcast himself. Yes. <laughs> Fuck this movie. To the point where he electrocutes himself to death. <laughs> and then, like, in real wrestling, they brought Zeus into the real world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. He didn't come out as Tiny Lister. He was Zeus. And I, if I remember right, the whole angle was that, you know, you can't actually beat me. We only did that for the movie. And they wrestled each other, I think only once, maybe twice, in the real world. The quote-unquote real world. <laughs> right, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. That is the craziest shit I've ever seen. That is insane. It, it, fucking all root bets were off. And like you said, cocaine. <laughs> it's, it's so cocaine-fueled. <laughs> it really is. Given how much we are saying that Hulk Hogan's pretty much a terrible lead for this. That oh, there's, 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 there's any time that, like, he's, like, especially the scene that, like, really got me, we're like, okay, sure, Hulk Hogan, was a bit where uh, Samantha Moore's talking about, like, hey, let's look at his marketing ability, he has a huge TV following, all this other stuff, which I can believe Hulk Hogan would have had at this point. He's just like, mm-hmm. uh, Rip wants to tell you, the character, that my biggest pursuits outside of the ring are my charity work. Sure. Mm-hmm. Fucking yeah, right. sure, Hulk Right, Hogan. yeah. Um, would you say Hulk Hogan is the worst wrestler turned actor? Yeah, probably. He should never headline a movie. Right. Let's put it that way. Ever. I mean, there's probably worse, like, guy, you know, B-card wrestlers who pop up in movies and shit. Mm-hmm. But I just don't bother watching those. But as far as mainstream, yeah, he's he's probably the worst. It's saying something when you would argue Zeus Tiny Lister has more range as an actor. Hey, he played the president. Just last episode, he was in Jackie Brown. He's really good. Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Hulk Hogan in that role? Oh, God. For a lot of reasons, no. <laughs> oh, God. Lot. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh, don't trust her. Why? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we've exhausted a lot of No Holds Barred. So your final thoughts, Adam, on No Holds Barred. It's a comedy that doesn't land, led by a problematic, to say the least, lead. And it's just an ego trip of a movie. It's just... it's. 
Nothing in this movie really works. I, I, I do agree with you that Kurt Fuller is good in it, and the whole limo scene would work if the whole movie was up to that fucking just hyperactivity. But it just gets bogged down by a boring-ass love story and plot devices that literally go nowhere. It's just, it's a shit film. Yeah, I mostly agree with that. It's not, like, worst we've ever covered on the show, necessarily, because there's these few pockets of entertainment to be found. And and like I said, I think I find it fascinating. It's just sort of, like, a timepiece of what wrestling was at this time, about what Hulk Hogan sort of as a public figure presence was. I mean, this is him just like, oh, my God, I'm so great in Rocky Three, right? Let's put me in another movie. Give Thunderlips an entire vehicle. Now, on that level, I find it fascinating, but at the same time, it's not anywhere near a good movie, nor even a entertainingly bad movie. It is a curiosity to kind of put on the shelf to the point where, like, even from what I've heard in wrestling, it's become, like, a public joke, right? Yeah. Oh, No Holds Barred? Yeah. It's got a little bit of a cult following. I mean, as you'll see later in our in our feedback section, a lot of people know of this movie and have seen it. But it, I, I would say it's definitely more on the joke side as far as where it falls. Right, yeah, sort of like a guilty pleasure for some of those wrestler people. It's gotta be. Wouldn't necessarily recommend it now for a lot of reasons, maybe chiefly, the star might not have quite the appeal he did at the uh, time. Yeah, I'd say so. No, probably not. Uh, but someone who has had a pretty consistent career both in the ring and on the screen is Dwayne The Rock Johnson in our next feature, Pain and Gain. My name is Daniel Lugo, and I believe in fitness. You ever just get tired of being where you are, Adrian? I got a plan to change that. You just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. Well, sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal prick who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. So, Pain and Game uh, came out April 26th, uh, 2013, and is directed by Michael Bay. And this is our first Michael Bay feature, Adam, who's a director that gets a lot of shit, quite frankly, um, in ways that are deserved on some level. I mean, if you're sure. talking about a Transformers movie, no question. Yep. But at the same time, I, I think that's become sort of a crutch for a lot of film criticism, like, oh, Michael Bay loves explosions, Michael Bay loves hot chicks, all this other stuff. It's a crutch that at the same time feels kind of warranted, depending on the situation, it's tough. But I think you would agree with me that Pain and Gain is one of the examples where a lot of his proclivities actually work really well for the film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so funny, this is a Michael Bay unlike any other Michael Bay movie, and yet you can easily tell it's a michael bay movie i don't it's just it's so bizarre the way this movie works out i don't think anybody expected this movie to be what it actually is right yes which for those of you who might not remember this is a film based on actually a true story um but also a script by christopher marcus and stephen mcfeely who have gotten actually a lot of cred now because they've been writing a lot of the marvel films uh since captain america the first avenger they've been writing on a lot of the big ones all the way up to infinity war and endgame i didn't know that yeah, they've been like the main screenwriters on a lot of those. This is based on a true story, which obviously, given it's a film, uh, they play fast and loose with some of the actual true events. The deets, like the kids say. 
Yeah, the deets, as it were, yes. Uh, and uh, basically involves, in the mid-90s, a guy who was um, a trainer at a fitness center in Miami um, is trying to get out of his rut in life and decides to do that um, by doing it the old-fashioned American way of kidnapping a guy and forcing him to sign over his assets. <laughs> and he is just so cocksure of himself <laughs> that he's got it all figured out. And I mean, it just instantly... Before they even kidnap the guy, when there there are several attempts to kidnap him, you're like you should probably just walk away from this. <laughs> this thing's honestly like most people see a Michael Bay movie, and they're like, oh, he clearly idolizes these main characters who are obnoxious assholes that look at women on a surface level and are pieces of shit. What I think is more interesting is I think a lot of this is a credit to uh, Patrick H. Williams. Is a guy who does a lot of great video essays I recommend about films. He's on YouTube. He did a great two-part thing on Michael Bay that kind of sums this up, and I do agree with him looking back on Michael Bay's films. Now, Michael Bay doesn't really love those guys and idolize them as much as he fucking hates them. Oh, yeah. He hates them with a passion, and he just loves pouring so much like abuse and hatred and rage on these guys. It just is like in a Transformers movie that can come off as like, oh, it's like the hero does all this stupid shit, but he gets the girl in the end and everything's great. Versus in this movie, it feels like him totally doing what he wants to do, which, based on a lot of his castings, especially like where he gets big actors to be in his movies, he really wants to be like the Coen brothers. If you look at his filmography. Like, Francis McDormand's in Transformers 3. (laughs) So is John Malkovich. John Turturro. Yeah, in a bunch of his movies. This guy clearly wants to be Joel and Ethan Coen. But this is the first time he's ever actually able to push that out. Only the Coen brothers love their, like, stupid, affable criminal characters. Michael mm-hmm. Bay fucking hates these guys. <laughs> yep, I'd say that's very, very accurate. Uh, and I remember, too, when this movie came out, a lot of people were like, oh, he, you know, he's making them all so sympathetic. And these horrible criminals, you know, who really did murder people and things. I don't watch this movie and think he's making them sympathetic at all. No, I think he shows him for exactly what they are, a bunch of fucking morons who are just idiots who are trying to fucking rob, cheat, and steal their way to the top. I can see more of the criticism is like the 180 of that toward Tony Shalhoub, who plays the guy who gets kidnapped, which admittingly, Tony Shalhoub is great in this movie. He's so good. What a <laughs> he's, scumbag. He's so great. But at the same time, I can see where like some people might be like, that might be like villainizing the guy who got victimized, which might be arguably the the worst part of the movie but the thing is so just because a guy's a fucking prick and an asshole doesn't mean he deserves any of that shit i mean right exactly so he's an asshole so what he probably you know how many guys like him there are i mean these fucking all too self-important i earned all this so i can act however i want blah blah yeah they exist a lot of them doesn't mean he deserves to get you know kidnapped and tortured and extortion and everything like that but Right, so at the same time, they're definitely emphasizing on, like, the three guys who we should mention. It's not just the one wrestler, but also Mark Wahlberg is our main guy, who mm-hmm. this is probably the best use of Mark Wahlberg's meathead persona ever. I 100% agree. This is arguably one of his best performances as well. Oh my god, he's so good, Just, especially whenever he does that narration. And weirdly, like, in 2013, I could see more people like, man, this is really cynical, it's really bitter, I don't know if I can really appeal to this. In 2019, this plays so much more darkly fucking accurately <laughs> yeah in, in so many ways like there's so many points where he says the whole line about like we want to make america a nice place again yeah yep <laughs> yeah. without a doubt that like it, it plays so much more 
in a way that's like sadly darkly comic, but still like so clearly much like Michael Bay is playing these guys as total assholes. And along with him, there's Anthony Mackie, who had been in movies before this, but I would argue this was the movie where I'm just like, man, this guy is like a multifaceted actor. Like I had seen him in like Eight Mile and Hurt Locker and some of this other stuff, but this was a movie where it's like, wow, this dude's able to play especially comedy so well. Mm-hmm. Where like the whole thing about him and like how he like gets breast milk from a pregnant woman and he likes drink that with his steroids. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, more breast milk for me, fine. <laughs> he just drinks it. <laughs> just he is so willing to make fun of himself, especially with like how his big thing is he has a um a small crooked dick that doesn't work. To quote the man, yes, that's what it yeah. is. And his scenes with Rebel Wilson, who I also think kind of gets misused in a lot of comedies, I think this is a pretty perfect use of her, too. I agree. I think they play so well off each other, where it's like there is still an attraction, but at the same time it's totally based on like a weird sexual fascination with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird fetish yeah. that they both have, and they just go wild with it. Well, I honestly, I think this movie is pretty much perfectly cast all around. There's not really one performance in this that I'm like, eh, I could have done without that. I mean, Ed Harris, always good. And he's good in this. Mm-hmm. I don't know that a private detective would be sent to the Bahamas and allowed to shoot a suspect. Right. Um, My few issues with like his character more have to do with the actual character in terms of just uh-huh. like, oh man, I'm just a totally straight-laced guy and I've got a wife and everything's fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm retired, but I'm coming back into it to help Tony Shalhoub. Who's co- yeah. constantly in just like this terrible situation? It feels a bit neat. It feels just like oh, we need to have one moral goodness character <laughs> in the middle of all this. I I agree. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I never thought about it like that, but I think he kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. I think he's good in it, but yes. at the same time, once he started coming on screen, I sort of found myself waiting until we got back to Mark Wahlberg and the other two. Right, which we should we haven't mentioned our third guy. The m- reason we're doing this movie is Dwayne the Rock Johnson comes in as uh, the Paul Doyle character, who's like a composite of several other conspirators that help these mm. guys out. It is a miraculous performance from Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I think it uses all of his skills so perfectly, where he's so fucking funny, but he's yep. also intimidating because this is the biggest he's ever gotten for a movie. He's massive, he's huge. He's he giant. is so terrifyingly big. But at the same time, I love the fact that he is this massive giant Hulk. But at the same time, he's kind of trying to be a weird gentle giant, but he's also too much of an asshole to be a gentle giant. He's like really into Jesus and being religious and being sober and everything else. But he's just a maniac. Until he becomes addicted to cocaine, which is like the zenith of this movie. <laughs> when God. he becomes addicted to cocaine, it's so fucking <laughs> Why would you make me do that? Jesus blessed me with many talents, and, and one of them is knocking someone the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so good, especially because like I, I love his weird accent. He does where he's slightly nasal, more so mm-hmm. than he usually is in a movie. And it's this perfect thing where he's just like, hey, I'm trying to be good, but also, man, I love substance abuse. I wonder I lo- if that was a choice because of the cocaine. I mean, he has that even before he does cocaine, but... Maybe it's like a past thing. Well, like he's also recovering. recovering. Right. right, right, right. The whole performance for when he thinks like, hmm, what's the best way to get this situation? I'll steal from a bank. And that whole chase sequence. Oh, it's so fun. Phenomenal. 
It's so good. It feels like a Coen Brothers-y sequence where it's just like, this is a crime gone horribly wrong. And this big guy tries to, like, I love when he tries to beat up the cops with, like, the hairdryer thing. The steals. So good. It's so great. And, the, and it's also incredibly well shot. Like, I love uh-huh. the way that Michael Bay uses his style in this movie where it's so, like, oversaturated and pristine towards, like, trying to present, like, this is the idealized version of what these 90s guys think they can get away with. And at every step it's just showing, oh, no, this is all artifice and you're completely fucking up. <laughs> and this movie just looks like Miami. Yep. I mean, it's totally 100% through the the way it's filmed with the filters, the wardrobe choices, the colors, everything. Like, this is clearly Florida. Yeah. Not to be insulting, but you live there, you know. Um, <laughs> no, no, what are you talking about? I live every day and it just doesn't look anything like this at all. There aren't massive giant douchebags who are around. And even, like, they get that particular element of it so right. Where especially, like, at the very beginning, Mark Wahlberg's going around just like, I can't believe people can't live up to their full potential he like looks at some fat people who are trying to actually exercise he's like look at those pieces of shit i know people exactly like that i'm a fat guy that goes to the gym i see people like that every day (laughs) oh yeah i love that after they the murder happens and mark walberg's kind of like freaking out and he's you know doing curls and the rock's sitting there talking to him he's like look what happened i mean you killed a guy yeah that's right good pump get it going Anyway, <laughs> I know how hard it is. Yeah, Keep it up. There we go. It's <laughs> so fucking perfect. My favorite use of the rock in the movie is when Mark Wahlberg is giving that bullshit neighborhood safety meeting, and the rock is just coked out of his mind. And he goes behind the thing and stores coke. He's like, "Ooh, baby, that's the one." <laughs> <laughs> you touch her, I'll fuck up. That's pretty great. I also love any stuff with him and Tony Shalhoub when he's kidnapped. He's got that Hebrew nickname for him. <laughs> right, right. You're a Jew, right? Yes. Jesus, my Lord and Savior, is going to save you. Oh, how'd you do that? <laughs> wow, how'd you do that? <laughs> I was almost watching a whole movie about this too, and then later on, even when like it gets really like the darkest joke probably in the whole movie is him trying to grill the handprints oh off the hands, oh my God. and he goes outside. She's like, "It was getting smoky in there, dude. You gotta grill the stuff outside." And like right before that, he just sees the lady across the street, like, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> oh man, what's the matter with you? You look like shit. I feel like I look pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> what they do to those poor people i mean the horse tranquilizer in the one and you're like oh no the whole time i'm watching this movie you're just going no you idiots so i mean granted i don't want to be like no commit your murder better but (laughs) you're like jesus christ how can you i mean just you're fucking it up at every turn possible i mean the whole chainsaw bit is dark comedy gold yeah, it gets caught in her hair. He's like, you know why? Because it says it's made in China. That's why it's cheap Chinese bullshit. And then they try and return it with the hair. And she's like, uh, sir, there is fur on this. We'll see no damn fur in there. What are you talking about? And it's just clearly there. There's blood dripping off of it. No, I, I, this movie is a very, very, very well done uh, dark comedy, and I really enjoyed this on a rewatch. No, yeah, but, because, it, like I said, it plays so much better now mm-hmm. in context of, like, these guys are walking contradictions at every level. Oh, yeah. They come in, they're just like, we believe in the American dream, you gotta work hard, you gotta play hard, but then we're gonna completely do a shortcut in order to do something. Exactly. And they do that constantly, and it's so much of a pitch-perfect dark satire of, like, all the worst stuff in America that 
has become more and more of a shining light now in recent years. It, it's just like it, it plays so much better now than it did back when it came out. It was literally ahead of its time in ways we didn't even figure. I agree. Especially uh, an underrated MVP of this movie is uh, Rob Corddry. It's the guy that runs the gym. Oh, God. Totally back. Fucking piece of shit that guy is. I, I'm a notary. I have morals. Oh, yeah, just come and stamp it. Sure. Are you kidding me? I'm an officer of the law. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's all about the power. That's what I love is that every time they're they're just like, hey, we want to believe in the American dream, but really they believe in the corrupt power system that benefits these guys because they're just like, hey, I worked out to the point where I'm a physical specimen. That's enough, right? I don't right, need to be exactly. like a good person. I don't need to be a morally decent guy. I can just like work out really hard, be the physical apex predator, and I can be the best person out there. Which is not to say if you work out really hard and you do a you know, great job, you can use a physical fit, you're not a monster. But these guys think that's the only thing you need in life. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the, all that matters. That's all that matters is being like what is considered a top American, which is why, especially considering No Holds Barred, this feels so bad because these feel like guys who were raised on wrestling. Yeah. And took like all the wrong lessons of like, hey, it's a fun show. But they were just like, no, this is exactly where I need to be, the top American specimen of a person. Yep, exactly. Um, I mean, and just the bullshit, you know. Yeah, if, what is it? like? I forget the phrase, but like, if you dream it, God will bring it or something like that. When Mark Wahlberg's sitting on that fucking lawnmower. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially, oh my God, the, the, Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> fucking face when he's on the lawnmower. <laughs> it's so, so good. But that it's just so goes good. to show you how much of a fucking asshole he really is. It's yeah. like the salesman comes up and goes, that's a nice one, huh? It's on sale right now. And he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, the good, whatever that fucking bullshit saying is, it's like, you know, it's, if you could dream it, you could be it sort of fucking Tony Robbins sort of bullshit. Right, well, or in this case, the, I believe it's Johnny Wu was played Johnny by Wu, Ken Jeong. Ken Jeong, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, the guy's like, oh, okay, and kind of walks away. And he's like, yeah, that's why you work at Kohl's, buddy. Like, what are you being an insulting prick for? Are you, are you a doer or a donter? Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, look at me. I was li- I'm living the dream. I had a wife, two beautiful daughters. Thank God I got rid of her because now I got seven hotties <laughs> that I can pick and choose anytime I want. Like, this, that's you idolize, this fucking prick. That's the thing, it's just honestly watching this. It makes me more upset about, like, the other movies that both Michael Bay and even The Rock does. Because, like, we should talk about in terms of wrestling. Arguably, The Rock is, like, the biggest star to ever come out of wrestling in terms of movies. Yeah. Oh, right? I, I don't think it's even comparable, really. Right. Honestly, if I'm not mistaken, for at least, like, the last three or four years, has consecutively been the top earner in motion pictures as far as actor. That's right, insane. I, even when his movies don't do as well, which is, like, the biggest bummer to me is I think The Rock is an incredibly talented performer. Uh-huh. And I just wish that he would pick better directors to work with. It's weird saying that Michael Bay is one of the better ones he works with on a usual basis. Right. Because, like, so many of his features feel like, okay, we're going to do, like, a big-budget version of, like, what the WWE does for, like, the Marine starring John Cena or whatever the fuck. Yeah, like that fucking Skyscraper, San Andreas, right. and all this, and Rampage even. You're like, okay. But then you watch something like Jumanji, and you really... I mean, his comedic timing is spot on. Oh, God. And even in the trailer for Jumanji, oh too. God, him being Danny DeVito. Oh, like my God. And Kevin Hart is Danny Glover. That's, that's so perfect. I think Look that's at the my thing. Like, are we in Florida? <laughs> um, 
all that shit. Just, like, I'm very interested to see what that... Ha- and that's the thing, I just wish he stretched himself more. Because he tends to, like, kind of isolate himself in these pockets. Just, like, I can be either, like, Fast and Furious action hero, which, to be fair, even in, like, the worser versions of those movies he's done recently, he's, like, the highlight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those- yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I still wish you would do sort of weird, chancier things like this, or Jumanji, as you mentioned, kind of playing against type, especially more comedic parts where he's playing against his big, buff persona. Like, that's what worked about the second Jumanji, um, is that he played, like, a insecure teen inside of the rock's body. Right, who's smoldering as his, <laughs> his fucking super ability. Right, right, yeah. Or even in, like, a movie I really hate, and I don't like it, like Southland Tales. I fucking hate that. So he sticks out so much, though, as, like, a really weird persona of, like, I'm an action hero who's become, like, a secret agent, and I'm gonna, like, play the super macho seriously in a way that's kind of funny. Like, the whole, look, I'm a pimp, and pimps don't commit suicide. It's, like, the best part of that movie <laughs> because uh, of how he delivers it so sincerely. Like, right. that's the thing. is, I think it, he really needs to just, I think, emphasize on just doing more interesting, weird parts. Like, this especially. This is so unlike the more, like, four-quadrant attempts he's done at being a like big action hero right in a way that i wish he would emphasize more on i'm not super psyched about him getting into the you know either mcu or dc eu sort of deal i i I much prefer for the rock to keep doing standalone action movies or something like you said something like this exploring it have him do pg-13 kid you know kid aimed action movies and stuff it works for him He's good, and then occasionally do like a Hobbs and Shaw ultra violent action movie. His comedic, like I said, his comedic talent is just spot on, and it's so good to see and kind of refreshing that a guy who looks like him with his physique, who's been in the businesses that he's been in, will totally make fun of himself at every turn. He does not care. He is mm-hmm. not. He is not super protective over his ego at all. That's another reason why I think he's he's lasted and been as big as he is i could see like a john cena trying to go in that route too especially with like his performance in blockers and stuff uh you know taking a beer up the ass but he does he lacks the charisma i think that the rock naturally has it never feels forced with the rock and uh i think that's also another reason why he's stood the test time and been as big as he is like he just feels natural in in almost every role he's in like, it feels like it works for him. It feels like the opposite of sort of, like, the problem you had often with, like, a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger in, like, the 80s and 90s, where it's like, oh, hey, this big buff guy is your average citizen coming in trying to help. Mm-hmm. It feels just more like The Rock is, like, can be that average guy, but he just works out a lot. Like, he right. feels like it works for him in that way because there is a humbleness to him. There isn't that much ego. I completely agree, which is why he's probably the most successful wrestler-turned-actor in history just because of that. And I think another thing else that also works for this movie where, like, you could argue he's probably the most sympathetic of the three guys who are being, like, malicious, but at the same time, he is consistently, like, an idiot who keeps constantly trusting people who, like, he shouldn't trust and all this other shit. Like, when Tony Swift tries to escape and he pours beer down his fucking gun, (laughs) just like, keep drinking, keep fucking drinking, and all this other shit where he's totally embracing this dark side of himself, but he sounds like, no, I'm better than that. That's the great sort of psychology he's building in this movie, in a way. And I think also on that same level, that's kind of why I wish, in terms of Michael Bay's directorial career, I wish he would do more movies like this. Or even more movies like, say, Bad Boys or Bad Boys 2, where that feels like his 
sort of persona fits perfectly into that scenario where it's just like you're doing the sort of cliches of a movie that's like a crime keeper or a cop movie, but you're totally emphasizing on how ridiculous and massively overblown this can be at the same time. I wish you would do that more than a Transformers movie that feels just like him unbridled, but also like, oh, I got to appeal to the studios and make these guys totally coherently believable characters. No, do more weird, complex assholes. That's what you're good at. To go back to what you were saying about how the Rock's just an idiot in this, I love when fucking uh, Mark Wahlberg's laying the plan down and the Rock's like, God damn, Daniel's got it all figured out. How does he come up with this stuff? And it's just the stupidest plan ever. We're going to dress up like aliens and ninjas. <laughs> so obviously we can't answer from the water, so we'll all meet at the blue point. This is the blue point. And then they get up there, holy shit, he's having Shabazz. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or even when they like go up to like they and they pull up in front of the wrong Lamborghini and it's like, you pulled uh, up in front of the wrong one? It says Miami bitch on the license number. How could you not see that? And they're like looking under the car and shit. And he just walked right past them. So stupid. He even looked back and flicked off Mark Wahlberg, but he wasn't looking. He was too busy yelling at the other two. Yeah. Yeah, no, this movie is just... It's a really big surprise at how funny and well done this movie is. and But in the sickest, most dark comedy way. Yeah. If this is a black comedy bleak movie if I ever seen one and these fucking guys get their comeuppance at least I mean at least there's not like you know it doesn't end where Daniel got away and now he's living in the Bahamas or something like that the happiest turn is for the rocks character where he's just like oh I went to prison for 15 years but that's what he wanted he wanted to be in the prison system where he felt like he was more comfortable which i do love that bit where he's just like he's in prison he's singing the gospel choir (laughs) this is a perfect turn for him stupid grin (laughs) yep exactly yes and how he collaborate and all this other stuff like that's the thing is i think more people need to give credit to michael bafer like he is when he really tests himself he can be a phenomenal dark cynical bitter filmmaker that works in a big over-the-top lavish way and I think right. if he were to like challenge himself more with that, I would hope after the tra- the fifth Transformers movie didn't do that well, he emphasizes more on that. Like I know he's doing some Netflix kind of like um, dark comedy as well that's mm-hmm. coming out later this year, which I'm very curious to see with like I Ryan Reynolds know. and a few other people. Oh. Okay, yeah, I didn't even know about that. No, yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what he does with that. I, I hope that part of his career has passed him, and now he can keep doing these weird, smaller, darker movies. But let's go into our final thoughts then on Pain and Gain. Adam, your final thoughts. I think Pain and Gain was maybe he improperly marketed, because this was not a huge success at all. And a lot of people haven't seen it. They just figured it was just a stupid comedy about a couple meatheads. And it's this is a movie has got a bunch... It's like an onion. It's got layers. <laughs> Appealing to all those Shrek kids out there yeah. in the memes. Yeah, man. I'm trying to still stay with all the youths. Uh, it, it's it's a really dark, funny, real sort of cynical look at just ego and self-image. And, you know, if you value the things that are, aren't that important in the grand scheme of things, what you could possibly become. I think it's a pitch-perfect performance by The Rock. And also by everyone else in it. I think I really think this is a criminally underseen and underrated film. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I think it's the the best Michael Bay movie. It's the best use of probably Dwayne the Rock Johnson's not in a 
bigger commercialized studio movie. I mean, I would still say probably in terms of those, Fast Five is probably the perfect use of The Rock. In terms of, like, his persona, because goddamn, he just yeah. improved that franchise so much yep. with that fucking movie. Um, but at the same time, in this movie, I think it's a perfect use of him for, like, subverting sort of his image. It's like, hey, I'm the nice guy, big wrestler dude who still loves his family, loves everything. It's like, yeah, I love, quote-unquote, my relationships, but I'm a secret piece of shit. That's what I love about this movie so much, is the, the contradictions that happen with these characters, the, the back and forth. It's a movie that I could see if you're, like, not into a dark, cynical movie that makes you kind of, like really look down on America, I guess, you might not be the most interested in it. I can see why it might be, have been divisive at the time, especially. But it is aged, like, maybe not a fine wine, but, like, the best possible gas station wine you could ever have. Yeah, like a good <laughs> bottle of Boone's. Oh, yeah. That's that's what this feels like. It's just, it's the best possible example of the trashiest <laughs> alcohol you could possibly ingest. It's, it's a great example of, like, what Michael Bay can do, what Dwayne The Rock Johnson can do, what Mark Wahlberg can do, even when Anthony Mackie's been you know, bigger, high-profile movies. All these other people can do in the trashiest perspectives possible. It is a great dark satire that has aged perfectly in a way that, like, if you ignored it when it came out about six years ago or so, definitely revisit it. This is a very insightful, if lavishly over-the-top movie that more people need to see. So, uh, that is the end of our double feature discussion here for the evening. And uh, before we go and before we do our picking for next week, um, we got a lot of feedback in. Maybe the most for any episode we've ever gotten. <laughs> I think so. And I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I mean, like we said, some of our previous guests who commented on here are big fans of wrestling. And I guess even our fan base in general uh, that grows and grows every day um, can be fans of the art form of wrestling. <laughs> the performance <laughs> art? Whatever. That's probably a good way to describe it. <laughs> Not yes. before we start, whatever. <laughs> but whatever, yes, for sure. Uh, but to start with this feedback, uh, first we got Shaquille Lambert, a previous guest, who said, Best, The Rock is obviously the answer just in terms of sheer charisma. John Cena has shown very impressive comedic chops over the years, and Dave Bautista has shown a surprising level of depth in his brief Blade 2049 role uh, that I hope continues to follow. Worst, Hulk Hogan is a garbage person in pretty much every respect, uh, whether it's in wrestling, acting, or just life in general. And as much as Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the great talkers of all time, he is surprisingly subpar in a normal acting role. Uh, Tori DePina says, Best would probably be Roddy Roddy Piper in They Live. Uh, the Rock is a close second. Dave Bautista is at third. Seen blockers recently. Cena seems getting better and better. Worse is definitely anything Hulk has been in. Um, Austin was terrible in movies he, I've seen him in. Someone thought The Miz was credible to play a Marine? Nah. Um, Triple H is, um, is underrated dog shit too. Lol. Uh, James Rodriguez says, My wrestling knowledge is dog shit, but I do know that Dave Bautista has turned Drax into the MVP of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise um, and is a shining gem in the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall. Um, I like Dwayne Johnson, but I can't say anything nice about his role in The Mummy Returns. Also, Steve Austin was at home in Grown Ups 2, as he was awful. Matt DeNepoli says, Favorite is definitely Roddy Piper. Least is probably The Miz. Rafe Telsch says, well, to counter the statement made in last week's episode that Dave Bautista isn't much of an actor, I'd offer his bit in the opening of the Blade Runner sequel. Quite a bit of depth to such a short scene. Uh, obviously, the very best is Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride. Worst, I'd like to forget that Hulk Hogan had an acting career, particularly in Suburban Commando. Luke McBride said, John Cena, the Marine, ugh. 
Dave Batista, Drax, hilarious. Uh, Nate Thomas says, Hogan, no holds barred, Suburban Commando, horrible. Uh, Vincenzo Biloff says, no holds barred with Hulk Hogan, lol. Uh, there's no better movie starring a pro wrestler than They Live, though. And as far as The Rock goes, Jumanji's actually a fun movie. Uh, Meredith Drew Pascal says, John Cena, every movie ever, the worst. Elliot T. Schott says, Batista in Blade Runner 2049, small but good performance. Uh, Stuart Brooks says, Rowdy Rowdy Piper in They Live is one of the best. Uh, James Travis, The Rock has improved, but his movies still suck. Lol. Uh, Ryan Lindley says, Worst, Hulk Hogan and Suburban Commando. John Slattery says, uh, Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride's the best. And Worst, Tor Johnson in Plan 9 from Outer Space. And Lance Langford of the Horror Returns podcast says, The best performance from a wrestler in a film, for me, is a very loaded question. Uh, On the one hand, you have my absolute favorite performance, which would, of course, be Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live. Uh, Who could ever uh, forget the fact that Roddy Piper uh, was all out of bubblegum? And the best actual performance, acting-wise, I would have to say, is The Rock in Fast and Furious 6, where he reinvigorated the franchise that was slumping at the time. And all but guaranteed many, many more years and spinoffs galore. I hate to say it, but the honorable mention goes to the game plan, which I will admit uh, still brings a tear to my eye, mainly perhaps because I have four daughters and three grandchildren, and it just hits me, corny as it may be. Uh, The worst performance will also go to The Rock for his fucking awful portrayal of the Tooth Fairy in The Tooth Fairy. So bad! Well, I I think Lance might have meant Fast Five. Yeah, which was the first movie he actually appeared in, which failed, Lance! Which, which, yeah, you fucking do some, do your fucking research. <laughs> Christ, you are what the wrestling fans would call a jobber. I'll eat shit on, on the Batista thing about Blade Runner. I, I didn't even think about that. He was really good in it. But again, uh, it was like a minute, guys. That is a fantastic performance. Like, he's just cooking. He's quiet. He's got his glasses on. And then he gets to be a wrestler at the same time. It is such a great use. I wish I do agree, though that we got to see that in a more long-form context. I think he could be incredible. And even in, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I would argue he, especially considering going into that first movie, like, I knew, you know, Chris Pratt, I knew Zoe Saldana, even Vin Diesel, <laughs> and Bradley Cooper. But Drax was the, like, one where it's like, wait, some wrestlers playing? I don't know, that's gonna go. And he kind of stole that first movie, especially. He was so fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I, I mean, I still... I still lean that Chris Pratt definitely stole the first one, I think. But I think he was the biggest surprise, for sure, was Batista. Maybe it's because I'm a comic book fan or whatever. I don't know. I just don't like the way they've done that character. I've heard it's not true to the comics. At all. In the comics, he's a real genuine fucking threat. Like, he's a bad, bad dude. But it's a movie, so they're gonna... They can do different things. Who gives a shit? Uh, I just like that... He doesn't do anything. Like, the Drax never... The biggest thing he did was kill Jamin Hansu in the first one. In terms of actual violence, I guess I agree, but it's more just that personality of that character, where especially him playing off the other Guardians is so perfect, with just like, oh, that went over your head, nothing goes over my head, I have really fast reflexes. <laughs> are too fast, I would catch it. <laughs> what are you doing? How long have you been standing there? An hour. An hour?! He has trained my body to move so perfectly slow that I become invisible. Watch. And he's eating. <laughs> right. That's so much more important to the character to me than like him doing like any big over the top action bits necessarily. I think he does such a great job of like playing a character who is like big, beefy, intimidating, but the subversion is just like he's kind of a moron but in a lovable way. I think he plays so well off those other characters. Even when like he gets to be sincere, like at the end of the 
fucking first movie when he pets Rocket. It's so great. And even when he's talking to, like, Mantis in the second movie, I think he does such a great job of, like, being honest and emotional, but without really being conscious of it at the same time. He does such a great job of, like, building off that. I think a lot of that, obviously, is due to James Gunn's writing. But also, I think Batista's performance does an incredible job of displaying a lot of that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with what people were talking about with John Cena, at least some people. I, I, don't, I don't think he's the worst, necessarily. No, I don't either. No, because even, like, you mentioned Blockers, which is phenomenal, but also even in the Amy Schumer movie Trainwreck, there's a small just, part in that. I was going to say, he's so fucking funny in Trainwreck. He's really fucking funny. That, the movie theater scene, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Where he doesn't know how to properly insult anybody. Yep. <laughs> it's so funny. But he's been in some really shit films. Like, 12 Rounds in the Marine are awful. I haven't seen the Marine, but 12 Rounds, I agree. Trying to play him as a sincere action hero is not the point. It doesn't work. It does not work at all. But then you see him in Bumblebee, and I thought he was actually pretty good in Bumblebee. Yeah, I loved him in Bumblebee. Yes. Uh Speaking of a better version of a Transformers movie, Mike, Bumblebee. The best Transformers movie. Oh, easily, yes. Of course... They live. I mean, how can We've you... talked about that elsewhere, which yeah. is why we didn't discuss it here. But admittingly, yeah, that's a phenomenal it's... use. Because, like, John Carpenter clearly knew who Roddy Piper was. It's just, like, a wrestler persona and really played to that in his script. And it's so great. It's the it's... perfect mix of, like, being a wrestler persona, but also just, like, a weird kind of subversion of the typical American hero, quote-unquote, uh-huh. at the same time. It's so good. They Live is an amazing movie. You know, it, yeah, it's great. And, the, I mean, the alley fight, for God's sakes. Of course. Yeah. It's one of the best things I've ever put into cinema. I never saw Grown Ups 2, but I have seen other Stone Cold Steve Austin movies, and, yeah, he's pretty awful. Even, like, the first Expendables, I remember him being just like, why the fuck is he even here? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with, like, isn't Randy Orton a wrestler, right? And he's in those fucking movies? And I never get it. He was in, like, 12 rounds, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh god and there's like fuck i think there's six marine movies now I, i've heard yes oh for fuck's sake I... shout out to the sequels podcast just did i think marine six with the miss with on the their miss show Becky Lynch. yep yep oh good yes. god <laughs> but some of these other hulk vehicles which i had seen prior to like no holds bar like suburban commando or even one that wasn't mentioned but santa with muscles if you've never seen that oh god like, no, i've never seen that Oh, it's one of the worst. Was he like Mister Nanny or something too? I think so. Yeah, there's some kind of like thing where it's like, oh, it's Mrs. Doubtfire playing off of that, but it's him. It's a big Hulk Hogan in a tutu or some bullshit. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No, I. uh, I actually liked Suburban Commando when I was a kid. I probably kind of still like Suburban Commando. I think Suburban Commando is the perfect use of Hulk Hogan in a movie. Not to say it's a good movie, but as far as anything he's been in, I'd argue that that's. The best use of him. Yeah, but Gremlins 2, though. Oh, that's true, but that's like a cameo. I'm talking like one of his starring vehicles. I'd say that's probably his best lead role. Sure. I, I know, I know, I know. I, I, it's a terrible film. But, <laughs> I mean, Christopher Lloyd's great in it. and He was is... frozen today. Yeah, I was frozen today! Yes. <laughs> no, but there, there's some charm to the movie. Like, if it were somebody else other than Hulk Hogan, I think that movie would be a, more loved than it is now. 
just Hulk Hogan is so bad in it. Yeah, I mean, you know what? A shout out to one who wasn't mentioning any of the feedback, but one that I guess most people don't know, and even I wasn't aware of until I was like even doing research for the, for the good picks. Lenny Montana in The Godfather as Luca Brasi. Oh, that's right. He was a yeah. wrestler. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. <laughs> no, it's one of the really good ones. Yeah, and that's the thing is like even we didn't talk about this, but the history of like wrestlers doing movies, even before WWE, you have like in the fifties old wrestler pictures where they tried to emphasize on like, oh, wrestlers in the oh, element doing movies. Yeah. The fucking um luchador movies out of Mexico. Yes. Like El Santos and the Blue Demon. I mean, there's hundreds of them. That was a huge, huge market. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. I've heard of them. I haven't seen them. Oh, my God. They are awesome. <laughs> they're so crazy. But they're awesome. I highly recommend checking out some of that Santo and uh, Blue Demon movies. But, yeah, it was huge, huge things for them. But, yeah, they were doing it since, I think, the 50s. Yeah, yeah, even to where, like, the reason I found out about that was, like, in Ed Wood. There's a great example of, like, where he, like, try and pitch him, like, do wrestling pictures. Just write wrestling pictures. That's what people want fucking want. Or even in um, a previous movie we talked about, Barton Fink. And another, speaking of Ed Wood, a credit to Tor Johnson was mentioned, who, of course, was in plenty of Ed Wood movies that were garbage. But at the same time, uh, George the Animal Steel, who was a wrestler, played him in Ed Wood and was phenomenal. I always get those two confused because of his performance in Ed Wood. I'll right. see a picture of Tor Johnson, like, George the Animal Steel. No, of course it's not him. But still, yeah, I always those two will always be flipped in my head because of the because of George Animal Steel and Ed Wood. He was so good. That bit where he where Edward comes up like you can be in pictures like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. Uh but thank you for all that feedback there. But we had some feedback in reference to our last uh one of our previous episodes, uh where Jonathan Hadden McHale, another previous guest, said not even a week after episode sixty three comes out, we get a trailer for Tom Hooper's musical remake of The Island of Doctor Moreau. Which of course uh, is jokingly referenced to the Cats trailer, which came out around Comic Con, which uh you saw that Adam, right? Isn't that interesting? It's fucking something. <laughs> What the fuck are they even thinking, dude? Like, what, honestly, what are they thinking? I just love the fact that, like, if you haven't seen it, the Cats trailer has, like, all these actors in mocap doing, like, cat performances and having fur, digital fur put on them. Meanwhile, you have sets that are real, but are built to, like, weird cat scale where they're, like, I guess kitten-sized. So all the sets are real. But they're in digital fur. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I can't believe they spent so much money doing this. Stupid. This is the counter-programming to um, the fucking Rise of Skywalker in December. Yeah, right. Yeah, good luck with that there. But, you know, in terms of Comic-Con news, though, um, that wasn't the big thing that enlightened you, right? I think we all know the biggest thing that like, captured your heart from the Comic-Con news, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, Blade's coming back. And who's playing him, Adam? Oh, I don't it might be one of my favorite actors working today. It's not my favorite actor working today. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mahershala Ali. Which, if you fucking watch Alita, and when he's getting controlled by nobody, he's got the blue eyes, and he's in the black trench coat and takes off the sunglasses, you're like, well, he just fucking looks like Blade already. I mean, he looks the shit. Right, as we previously discussed on the show, you uh, love his performances in Moonlight, amongst other things. Amongst everything. I mean, true detective. Him as Cottonmouth and Luke Cage. Oh. 
Oh, thank God. I, a, I love the character Blade. I love the Wesley Snipes movies. Well, the first two, the third one's dog shit. And I love the character. So for them to be bringing it back with someone of that talent and caliber behind it, totally down. The only thing I'm worried about is the martial arts or the fighting. That's what I'm curious, if it's going to look choreographed or not. I mean, that's not my biggest concern as much as it's Marvel, so I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do an R-rated movie, which kind of feels counterproductive. Well, yeah, but they've already come out and said that they're not opposed to doing that either. So, because they've already they've said like they will keep Deadpool with an R rating. When they make another Deadpool, it will still be an R-rated movie. So I can't see them... But does Blade have to be rated R? That's my question. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I guess not necessarily if you, like, shoot it right. I guess you can make yeah. it PG-13. I guess. I don't know. If anything else, this is the best thing to come out of, like, Green Book. Because he talked about, like, oh, the immediately after I won the Oscar for Green Book, I'm like, I want to be Blade. to Kevin yep. Feige. So it's like, hey, that piece of shit movie at least got something to right, us. Right, we got something out of it. I'm more excited for the potential of the Phase 5 than I am Phase 4. We're talking Blade, Fantastic Four, possibly something to do with the X-Men. I mean, there's going to be a lot of shit. Although Shang-Chi kind of has my hopes up, too. Well, I think Shang-Chi's interesting, especially because it's from the director of a movie I love, Short Term 12. That's very underrated. Um, I think I'm very curious to see what that director does. And even some of the other stuff, like Doctor Strange in the Weird Multiverse movie. That sounds interesting. The Multiverse of Madness? Multiverse of Madness, that's such a weird title, I love that. Yeah, totally leaning into like horror and Lovecraft for it. Right, which is cool, and awesome. Scott Derrickson's doing that again, so of course that, that that sounds interesting. And even Taika Waititi's coming back and doing Thor Love and Thunder, where that's Natalie cool. Portman's coming back as Thor, which is so cool. I never expected her to come back. Not at all, no, that was the biggest surprise of that panel, honestly, like, even compared to Blade. I'm just like, Natalie Portman's coming back? No, insane. Wow. But those, Marvel easily stole the show easily with those announcements there's no question but the cats trailer though <laughs> what cats trailer though james corden idris elba as mccavity I'm, I'm kind of very like oh, I, no interest i i mean literally i my and then i show my wife the trailer and she's singing along to the songs I'm like what the fuck she's like i love cats i'm like oh no I do not like cats at all. I've seen like that like production that like was filmed. Like my sisters love that shit. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Them doing it this way though is just like I'm very curious for this fucking train wreck of a movie. <laughs> I'm morbidly fascinated, especially because like you said, the sets they built and everything. Where then they digitize these fucking cat people into it. But then it's like in one shot of the trailer, they're walking on a kitchen table and like a coffee cup is the same size as them. So the scale is all fucking wacky already. Like, what is going on here? I would recommend seeing along with that trailer, watch the like behind the scenes documentary that came out like the day before, where it feels like a documentary now episode where like fucking James Corden's talking about like we look like cats, but we're not. We're people, but cats. It's crazy. Oh my god. So he doesn't even understand the fucking plot or the movie he's in. Well, I don't think anyone understands, because, like, the thing is, they're not even wearing mocap suits in that. They're just wearing, like, normal clothes. Right. They're just going around these sets. So it's just, like, especially, like, when you look at Jennifer Hudson, just, like, I'm belting out my fucking version of and memory throughout this so whole thing. creepy looking when it yes. shows really singing. I'm like, this is terrifying. It looks like her face is trying to escape her body the whole time. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I'm so morbidly curious about that movie. But thank you all for that feedback. And we also want to thank some other people before we get to our picking for next week. We want to thank uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on the show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash eescarta. And, uh, of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod, where every Monday... We put out that feeler for like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? And you can also uh, send feedback to doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com for that. And uh, you can also find me at my own individual account at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter and Instagram. I'm there. And uh, you can also find my writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. I put out reviews and other things on there. I have a review up there right now for a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the new Quentin Tarantino movie. A lot of people are fans of that movie. Yeah, I read your review. I might not have been the biggest fan. If you want a counter example for that, uh, go ahead and read that review. Talk about your review real quick. All the concerns that I posed on our last episode seemed like they they might have come true. Maybe. But uh, for more great back and forth like this, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or ring review us on various different platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Uh, We're all over the place, wherever you can find podcasts. So uh, please share... The wealth. Share the love for us. Hook Just hook it up. You know, I, 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 want, I want two things I want to address to you before I pick it. One is I, I definitely want to give a shout out to Brian Stitcher and Lance Langford. And all, well, maybe not Lance. Fuck him. <laughs> but <laughs> Brian Stitcher and Phil and all them with the horror returns. They share our shit constantly and it really helped. Yes. And Desmond's been doing it too. And I, I mean, I really appreciate it. And uh, also, I just want to apologize for my mic quality. Over the last couple of episodes, I've been having laptop issues uh, to where literally 40 minutes into a recording, my laptop will just shut down and I can't get it going again. So I have to switch to my phone. So that's why I sound a little muddled in the second half of the shows for the last couple of weeks. Well, I appreciate you apologizing for that because that's not all fault of my magnificent editing and post-production skills that get this show out there. It's all your fucking fault, you piece of shit. How dare you? I don't know if I should be offended or be like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I love you, Adam. But now it's time to do our picking, uh, which in honor of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is coming out from uh, writer-producer Guillermo del Toro. Uh, We're going to do an episode about his films, which keep in mind, it's not just the films he's directed, but given it's... uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. We also open this up to movies he's written or produced as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, because the thing is, he's one of those guys, too, where his filmography is not exactly hugely expansive. True, because he's one of those guys who, like, he announces he's working on a project and sometimes never comes to be, or it comes to be several years later, all this other stuff. It's, uh, it's fascinating, but we are at least fans of that man and what he does. Oh. Yeah, I'd argue he's the best, one of the best, if not the best, fantasy uh, directors working right now. Yeah, he's keeping it alive right now. Uh, but to, to celebrate that, you have the good picks, Adam. So you have all that potential good picks on your end, and I have the bad picks, which is, I think, why we opened this up to movies he's written or produced. Because even the ones he's directed, not too many bad ones. Let's put it this way. There's not one movie he's... Directed that I don't like, but there are some that I like a lot less than others. Of course, yes. So, 
Okay. For those of you who might be new, um, with the, at the end of, this ep- of the episodes, we each uh, have these two movies, between, and we've assigned numbers between 1 and 10 for each of them. And uh, Adam has that done that for his two good picks, and that for my two bad picks. And each of us will also pick numbers between 1 and 10 to get closer to whichever good or bad pick we get. So for Adam's two good picks, I'm going to pick uh, number between 1 and 10. So I'll do number 6. At number 8, I have Kronos. Del Toro's a vampire movie. And his first feature. Wow. Have you not seen it, or have you? No, I have seen it. It's a it's a very good start. I'm, I'm very Excellent. curious to talk Excellent. about that one. Excellent. Very underrated, for sure. What was your other choice, Adam? Pacific Rim. Okay. Because, like, Because eh, <laughs> I, I don't really want to talk about the one movie, because we've already discussed it. And I feel like a couple of the other ones have been talked about to death. So, tried to swap it up a little bit. No, they're right. They're both really good movies. And now for my two bad movies, Adam. Number two, one and ten. I'm incredibly curious about this, so I'm going to pick number three. All right. At number two, I had one uh, that he was a writer-producer on. Uh, One that isn't discussed a lot. I haven't seen it, but I've heard very sort of um, underwhelming mixed results about it. It is Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. God damn it! I'm literally <laughs> sitting here mouthing to myself. Please don't be, don't be afraid of the dark. Please don't be, don't, don't be afraid of the dark. Oh no! Not only is it a remake and a shoddy remake, it's a bore. Oh, you're gonna love this one. Well, um, to contrast that, <laughs> at number seven, I had one he actually directed, but one I don't think is—it's very muddled to say the least. Not necessarily terrible. Uh, Mimic. I agree. I think Mimic, there's a lot of potential there, but it was clearly taken out of his hands. Yeah, it feels very much like his first studio effort. I think those are probably the right two choices if you had to pick two bad ones. So, good job on picking shit. Well, on on that note, I think, you know, I'm really offended by that comment, so we're going to sell this in the ring at him right now. Let's do it. Ooh, I'm going to put a hurt on you so bad. I didn't hear that bell. Fight for the rights of every man.